We finished up our study in Peter last week, first and second Peter, which we've been doing since September. Uh, and so we're going to take these next couple weeks to go over a few things. When we get to the last week of Christ's life, there's so much to consider and so many different accounts that you can't possibly do them all on a Sunday morning. You just have to skip over some things. And so we're going to pick up a couple of those things. You could preach on this all year, all the time. It would be possible you could just go on and on uh, talking about just the last week of Christ's life. Uh, we're not going to go on and on, but we are going to add another dimension to it tonight. Something that we started a little bit, but jumped over. John's Gospel, chapter number 14. John's Gospel, chapter number 14. This is about the Last Supper. It's part of what happened at the Last Supper. And it's a pretty eventful night for the disciples. Now, in Sunday morning, we talked about Judas Iscariot. And we said that he uh, was at, of course, was at the Last Supper. The way it worked out was Jesus sent Peter and John ahead into Jerusalem to prepare a place. And it's sort of a miraculous thing. They come walking into Jerusalem. Jesus said, when you see somebody carrying a water bottle, follow him home. You'd think there'd been hundreds of people. But there was one. And they, he said, the first one you see, follow him. And he followed him home and uh, said, can we, uh, we want to prepare the supper. Uh, and they said, we got an upper room, you can use it. We think that that was Mark. That it was Mark's house. The one that wrote the second gospel would be Peter's grandson. We think that's who was carrying the water bottle. And we believe that Mark uh, hosted the Lord. It might have been prearranged. We're not sure. Uh, he certainly was ready. And he had this large upper room, pretty good size room. They could fit 120 in there. Of course, they only had 13 that night, but they could fit 120 in there because that's where uh, the day of Pentecost began. They were in the upper room and uh, began there. So uh, we think Mark, and the reason we think that is because uh, when Jesus went up to Gethsemane to pray, he goes out of the city uh, to the east, up the Mount of Olives, into a little garden. And Judas is leading a band of soldiers and, and policemen to go arrest him. 
And we think he went to his house because he's about three hours or so before he gets up to Gethsemane. And Mark ran ahead to warn them that they were coming. And Mark shows up in Gethsemane with just a sheet around him. And the police try to grab him, and they pull the sheet off, and says he ran away with no clothes on because he had run out in the night, uh, we think, to warn them that they were coming. So <clears throat> we think it's upstairs in, in Mark's house. And uh, as you know, they begin the, the Passover supper, just like for us a Thanksgiving dinner, different food, okay, no turkey, uh, but lamb, lamb uh, that was roasted, you can only roast it, and uh, unleavened bread, bread with no yeast, and bitter herbs, which would be mostly lettuce in uh, uh, oil, probably olive oil, and that's what they had. That was their dinner. Jesus, of course, uh, rises up and washes their feet first, which everybody uh, was shocked, because why are you washing feet? You're the boss. And he said, I'm just trying to teach you how leaders are supposed to work. And then they start the Passover, and in, in the middle of it, Jesus changes Passover to communion. And he hands them a piece of bread, breaks it, and says, this is my body broken for you. And then they drink the cup. This is my blood shed for you. And so at that point, Judas Iscariot leaves. And here's what, if you understand really what's going on, you have to understand that these people, uh, the, the disciples were very Jewish very Jewish. And when Judas got up and left, they had no idea what he was going to do. No idea. They had no idea. And they thought he was going out to buy more food or something. Because he had the money bag. They had no idea he was going to betray Jesus. And so uh, they're sitting around the table and Jesus says to them, one of you will betray me. And they begin commenting on it, saying, who? Who's going to do that? Who would do that? And they start to say, well, is it me? Was it me? You understand, they don't think it's going to happen that night. They're thinking 20 years in the future, maybe something will happen and one of us will turn bad. Uh, they're certainly not thinking that night was when it was going to happen. And so in order to understand what we're about to look at, uh, it's very important to know that these people think like Jewish people. And so they believed that Messiah would come, all right, that the Messiah would come, and that the Messiah would set up a kingdom right here on earth. Now, that had been promised for 500 years. Isaiah, Jeremiah had promised that Messiah would come and set up a kingdom. And so they 
uh, think that that's going to happen. They think that Jesus is the Messiah. They're convinced of that. I don't know why anybody wouldn't be, except for uh, that they were absolutely certain that the Messiah was going to set up a kingdom. So the disciples are just waiting for him to do it. When are you going to do it? And they ask him quite a few times through, <coughs> throughout the Gospels, well, when we, when we setting up our kingdom? Let's go. Let's do this. Let's set up this kingdom. And he just kind of pushes it off and ignores it. And so something happened that made this a whole lot more intense. And that was Rome. Rome moved in took over Israel like they did the whole world. They'd come into your country, we're taking over, we're in charge, we will be your government, Uh, we will have soldiers wherever we need them, as long as you behave yourself, you can have a little of your own government, but we're in charge and the money all goes to us. As a government, as it's always been, right? The money goes to us. And so Rome came in. They wanted peace. They kept peace. And they uh, wanted the money, all right? Well, nobody wants to be an occupied country. Nobody. And certainly these Jews don't want to be. And so now the idea of Messiah becomes huge. He'll get rid of Rome for us. So when Jesus comes along, right in the middle, he's born under Caesar Augustus, and he lives into Caesar Tiberius' reign. As he comes along, they say, boy, we needed you. We need you to get rid of these Romans. So anytime you want to set this up, we're in. Let's go. And that's what the, the... Disciples all believe when they're sitting around that table. That he's just waiting his time, biding his time, and he's going to take over, set up a kingdom. So that's essential to what we're about to read because there, you can believe something your whole life and be wrong your whole life. Okay? And the things that you grow up with are real hard to get out of your head. You grow up and everybody believes it. It's not going to come out of your head real easy. When I grew up, uh, church uh, was after every sermon, every sermon, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever it was, after every sermon there's an altar call. <clears throat> and the pastor say, you come up front and pray after every one. And they would say, that's the only way you can do it. It's what has to be done. Now, I'm not thinking that it worked real well, but we were all used to it. I responded when I was young to that kind of thing and went up to an altar and prayed. And that wasn't a bad thing. I'm not saying it was a bad thing. Uh, But sometimes when you got the same... 30 people for 50 years, it's probably not real productive. (laughs) 
And when I came here and started going to start here, there was a real battle inside of me because every voice said to me, you got to do that. You got to do that. And I said, why do I got to do that? You got to do that. You got to do that. Because this is how I grew up. And I remember saying to myself, where well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do things differently and get up there and think, oh my goodness, am I doing this right or not? I believed that the Lord could speak without my help, if you know what I mean. You preach like you're supposed to preach, preach what the Bible says, and then you don't need to say, now here's a hook, follow. Get up here and get, you don't need to do that. So, and I think things worked out that that was right. But that was a real change from the way I grew up. These people from their mother's knee heard about Messiah coming and setting up a kingdom. When mom and dad tell you when you're five years old sitting around the table, don't you worry about them Romans. He's coming and he'll fix them. Naturally, it's part of your thinking, part of your psyche. So they can't get it out of their head. So Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're thinking, in the future someday must be one of us, because nobody's going to do it now. So who is it, Lord? Who is it? And they get a little disturbed by that comment. And uh, he really doesn't know what to think. Uh, now, in, in chapter 13 of John, verse 36... Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? And Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto the Lord, Why can't I follow thee now? I'll lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered, Will thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, A cock shall not crow, though thou hast denied me thrice. And so Jesus says to them, By the way, I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone, and I'm leaving you. Well, wait a minute. How's that work out? You can't go. We're going with you. We want to go with you. You can't go with me. Where I'm going, he says, you can't go. And so now everybody at the table is really disturbed. First of all, uh, one of them is a betrayer. They don't realize he just walked out the door. They still think it could be them. Uh, and the second thing is, he's going to leave, and we can't go with him. We want to be with him. Now look, if you'd followed Jesus for three and a half years, that's the most exciting life that anybody ever lived. Believe me. You kidding? He's walking across the water to your boat. He's calming the wind and the waves. Uh, he's raising people from the dead. I mean, man, you can't get any more exciting than that. What a life. What a life. And they love it. And they love him. And now he says, I'm going to leave and you can't come. So they're really in intensely disturbed 
by what has now transpired at the table. Uh, why so much? Part of it is that. You gotta set up this kingdom. You can't just go and leave us. We've been with you for three and a half years. We're not gonna leave you now. We're coming along. And he says, no, you can't come. And so at the table where first it had been happy good times like a Thanksgiving dinner with your family is. Uh, now everybody's kind of hmm, a little depressed, a little sad, can't quite, this isn't working out like a Passover dinner, this is different. We're not happy at all about what transpired. So we come to chapter 14 of John as Jesus begins to explain to them something about what's coming and in Paul's writings he says we look not at things that are seen but we look at things that are not seen We look at not seen. And so Jesus is going to try to prepare them for what's coming. And it's going to be a wild ride for a while. Uh, and so here he goes, chapter 14. He's just told them he's leaving, they can't come. One of them's a betrayer. Everybody's pretty upset. Chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I don't want you to get all discouraged. I don't want you to get feeling bad tonight because of what I said. I'm going to leave, but I'm not here. I don't want you to be all bothered by it. <clears throat> so here's a few reasons why you shouldn't be bothered. Verse 2. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So we have this wonderful verse, one that I've used uh, hundreds of times, uh, and we use it at funerals. And he says, I am going, where is he going? I'm going to my father's house. And it's hard for us to assign emotion to Jesus, but we have to think about just normal things. Don't you like to go home? I love to go home. I pull in the driveway, I'm smiling, no matter what. You know, when I leave work, I get happier and happier and happier and happier. I get home, I'm happy. Right? And I love to go home. I love to just sit in my old chair there and, you know, I love to be home. Who doesn't, right? Everybody say, a man's home is his castle, it's where he feels comfortable. Jesus is going home, up to heaven. He's happy about it. I am going home. Now, there's not a home like they ever knew, or you and I ever knew. 
All right? But he said, I'm going to my father's house. I'm going home. But when I get there, I'm going to fix up a place for you. And then you and I will be there together. That's all I need in all the world, right? That's wonderful. Good news. So heaven, where he's going, up to heaven, going to my father's house. I'm happy to be going home. I'm, I'm not sad about going home. He says, I'm going to take you there. I'll take you there. And that's been a source of joy ever since he said it. And I think about it quite a lot, often. I think about it quite often. <clears throat> when we sing certain songs, and if you ever pay any attention uh, to hymns, there's a lot of hymns that talk about dying. A lot of hymns. Somewhere in there, there's something about when I die and go to heaven. You know? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, the time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and a roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I like that. I like that. Anything, and all, you'll find him after him uh, has a verse in it about dying because it's a, it's a happy moment. And Jesus said, I'm going to go there, fix a place for you, and we'll be together forever. And that's a happy thought. And I think about meeting people that have gone ahead. That's what I think about. And some days I'd like to talk to my mother. <laughs> right now. I'd like to talk with my mother. And... Uh, she and I used to have pretty good conversations, and I'd like to talk to her again. I can't now, but I will. Day's coming when I will. So that's a really happy thing to tell people when I'm going. I'm going to my father's house, fixing up for you. We'll all be there together. Verse 4, and whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto the Lord, we know not whither thou goest, how can we know the way? Now, you got to think. You say, well, he just said he's going to his father's house, he's going to heaven. They don't think that. What are they thinking? Well, he's going to go set up a kingdom. So he must be going to some other city. Some other place. You're going to leave us behind. You're going to go to some other place. Set himself up as king there. And then come with all the Jewish armies he can raise. And attack Jerusalem and throw out the Romans. That's what they're thinking. So they said, we'd like to know where you're going. Because they still think he's going to set up a kingdom. And that would be exactly what happened in the past other kings who came to power went to some other city, declared themselves king, gathered an army, then marched in and took over. He says, perfect. So wh where are you going? He said, well, I'm not. I, he says, you know where I'm going. He says, we don't know where you're going, so how can we possibly know how to get there? Says Thomas. In other words, he's not thinking at all like Jesus thinks. He hasn't got there yet. Neither has the rest 
verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. From henceforth you know him and have seen him. All right, so he said, when I came, one of the things I did was show you the Father. Show you the Father. So if you've seen me, now you know what the Father is like. I do what he wants me to do, and that's how you know what the Father is like. And right after that, Philip says, verse 8, he says unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. (laughs) He said, now, we'll be happy, we'll quit bugging you. Just show us the Father. What's he thinking? His eyes. He said, can't you just kind of open a hole up in heaven and we can look up there and see the Father? We'd be happy. We'd stop bothering you. Would be, it would satisfy us if we could just see him with our eyes. Show us the Father. And he's trying to get them to stop looking at things that are seen. Don't look at those. I want you to begin to look at things that are not seen. That's what he's trying to change their thinking. What can they see? They can see the kingdom and they can see Jesus. He's right there. He says, I'm going to leave. You won't see me anymore. Well, show us the Father. You already saw him. With the eyes inside. Not with these eyes, with these eyes. Verse 9. Jesus said unto him, Have I been with you so long? You have not known me, Philip. He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then? Show us the Father. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doth the works. Believe me, I am in the Father, the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Now, if we have the Father and we have the Son, he said the Son is in the Father, and the Father is in the Son. Now, this is how God works. This is the way God behaves. I can't explain it really, but it's how God operates. So Jesus says right in here, in me, the Father is right with me. And if you could ask the Father, he'd say, well, the Son is right here with me, inside me. And so, somehow, they live inside of each other. Okay? Of course, that's going to make a lot of difference to you and me. Because if that's the way God behaves, what does that mean? Gonna live inside of you. Gonna be inside of you. Now, he didn't say that yet, but he says 
I want you to understand he's in me. Father is in me and I am in him. And that's how we operate. I do what he says. He tells me what he wants. And we go back and forth that way. So he said, if you find that difficult to grasp, at least you should believe what I say because you've seen me do things. I guess they have, huh? I guess they have. Feed 5,000 with a couple of little rolls and a little couple of fish. I mean, they've seen him uh, do so many things, change water into wine, heal. He healed a whole town of Capernaum one night. Everybody in town said he healed a whole town. You imagine that if somebody came now said, I'm going to Medina and going to heal everybody who's sick. You imagine it? You, you can't, can't grasp it. And they seen him do these things one after another after another. And some of the miracles that I think are fantastic is, is the old woman who's bent over, can't stand up, comes into the temple. And it was different that day because Jesus was there. And he says to her, stand up. <laughs> I used to know two people, a mother and a son, who were bent over. And they, that's how they walked, like that. When I was a little kid, I was fascinated because they sat in the pew and they looked normal when they were sitting. As soon as they stood up, they looked like this, both of them. Some sort of spinal deterioration. Jesus says, stand up. And she stood up straight, just like that. You break your leg. Get your knee replaced, whatever, right? What are you going to do? You're going to lay in bed, and they're going to do therapy, and they're going to come and walk up this stair and go up and down. They're going to have you doing therapy for weeks. Why? Because that's what it takes to get back up. Not when Jesus says, stand up, you stand up. It's amazing. It's amazing. So he says, you've seen me do these things. I want you to believe me. I want you to believe me. Because you've seen these things. Now, get ready for this one. Verse 12. Remember, he's trying to lift their spirits. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. There. Does that entice you? So Jesus said, you can do what I've done. Matter of fact, you can do more than I've done. <coughs> and I, as soon as I read that, I say to myself, I can't heal a blind man. I can't even fix your sliver in your finger, for heaven's sake. I can't do anything. I can't do what he did. So what's he talking about here when he says, you're going to do bigger things than I've done, greater things than I've done? What's he talking about? What's he saying? Now, the apostles did heal blind men. They did raise the dead. They raised the dead. They did those things. 
The apostles did those things as he says to them here. But he said, you're going to do better things. <clears throat> if you think in the life of Jesus, take a look at it. And you see, for three and a half years, uh, he heals. And he does miracles of all kinds. All kinds. Now, ask Jesus what's the best thing he did. Is he going to say heal a blind man? No. Is he going to say cure leprosy? No. What's he going to say? I died on a cross. I died on a cross and I rose again from the grave. And I brought salvation to the whole world. I healed a few Jewish people, a couple of outsiders, and, you know, you could count them. How many people are saved because he died on the cross? What a number. Goes way, 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 way beyond all the miracles. So ask Jesus, what's the most important thing? He's not going to say healing blind people and, and fixing lame legs and curing leprosy. It's not what he's going to say. He's going to say, the real thing that matters is when I died on the cross and brought salvation. So he says to them, you're going to do greater works than me. Now if I look over at Matthew chapter 11... Um, John the Baptist was put in prison, and Jesus says, uh, John is kind of worried. He says, are you really the Messiah? Well, you sit in prison long enough, you get pretty depressed. So Jesus is going to tell him what to think. <clears throat> Matthew 11, verse 4. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In Jesus' list, he said, I'm preaching to the poor, preaching to people who haven't had the opportunity to hear before, who in their lives have been kind of burdened, got all they can do just to survive, and I've been preaching truth to them. They said, you're going to do that better than I did. And they did. You know, the Jesus preached inside of Israel. He crossed the border like twice outside of Israel. Not, not a very big place to work, okay? The disciples preached in Jerusalem. They went into Judea. They went up to Samaria. And then you remember Peter. What did he say? They're spread all over Asia Minor. They went to Rome. They went way beyond it. And some people have had a tremendous impact on the Christian uh, Christianity. People like Martin Luther. How many people came to the Lord because of Martin Luther? I mean, you say, well, he started the Lutheran church. That ain't what he did. 
He brought truth to people and opened up the minds of thousands of people all across Europe. Way more than Jesus ever did. The Wesleys, John and Charles Wesley, say, well, they founded Methodist Church. No, they didn't. They did the same thing. They opened up uh, to people who wanted to hear it all across England. They came into America and they swept from one end of America to another and they spread the gospel way, way farther than Jesus did. So Jesus said, you're going to be able to do things better than I did. So I don't want you to be discouraged, all right? You say, well, I didn't raise the dead. No, but in Jesus' mind, this is a whole lot more important. Salvation was really what mattered to him. So he says, because I'm going, oh, leaving you, you're going to have a chance to do great things. And here's how I'm going to help you. Verse 13, back in John 14. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's a blank check. It's a blank check. Ask what you want. Will you ask what you want? I'll do it. Depending on the verse before, why? Because you're going to do the works that God wants you to do. He's going to help you to do those things. And when you start doing what God wants, you can kind of ask, and I'm in. I'm here to help you. So, first promise, you're going to go to heaven. We'll all be together there. That's good. I like that. I like this just as much. You want to do something for me? I'll help you. Matter of fact, you can ask for things and I'll just give them to you. I'll just do what you like. As long as what you like is what I like. You know, we're doing those things. Uh, you do anything you want. And so, man, they, they, he gave him a blank check right there. So, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's what he says. He says, look, here's how you get that blessing in prayer. You do what God says. What does God want you to do? Let's find out what it is and let's do it. And then God will help. Uh, you'll be able to do great things, even greater things than I did, he says. And I'll do whatever you ask me. I'll do whatever you what a What a cooperation. What a desire on the part of Jesus to help us. And so you jump in and I'm going to tell you the most exciting time in my life is when I walked in the door here and for about eight months I never see anything like it. Never experienced anything like it. It was the most exciting time. Something happened every day. Every day God opened another door. Every day things happened. You've heard me tell some of the stories. Great big huge storm is coming. I uh, ripped some trees right out of the ground right down there on uh, Fletcher Chapel Road. And uh, it came and we were outside. And I said, I think everybody better watch it. Something really bad's coming. It was a tornado touched down on Fletcher Chapel Road. It came up that hill. And it went that way, it went that way. Went right around the church. Came back together down the field over there. 
And he says, I'll help you. I'll do whatever you want. Remember, uh, we had a, that box, that old wooden box was on my kitchen table because we were meeting in my house. Whatever money we got, we went and bought supplies and worked for the week. <clears throat> Next week, took whatever money we got, bought some more supplies, kept working. And then one week, we ran out of money. And so I said to my wife, I'm going over to church. She said, why? You got nothing to work with, no supplies. I'm going. I don't know why. I'm going. I got here, walked upstairs, and there was a whole stack of drywall on the floor. Came during the day. I went home. She said, what did you do? I said, I hung drywall. You can't hang drywall. You haven't even got any. And I did. There's a whole stack of it. Where it come from? I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but there it was. And so we went to work. And that happened day after day. And we were... Drive, we're here working right in the beginning. His truck pulls in the driveway. Says, what are you doing? Fixing up the church. Well, your driveway's a mess. I know. Don't worry about it. I'll fix it today. I'm going to haul stone all day for you. And he drove off and hauled stone all day. By the time the day was over, it's stone driveway all the way up through. Every day. One thing after another after another happened. It was exciting, I'll tell you. And... And the more you got into it, the more you said, man, you know, you start doing what God wants. You got it made. Let's go. This is great. And just exciting times like you never heard or felt in your life. And that's what he's describing here. I'll help you. I'll be behind you. Do what I ask, and I'll get with you, and boy, we'll go. And that's what happened. Now, verse 16. I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He calls him a comforter. That's how it's been translated. Uh, and I don't think that's a bad translation at all. He says, I'm going to give you another comforter. Or in other words, Jesus said, I'm a comforter to you. That's what I am to you. I'm here to help ease your mind. I'm here to help get things done. I'm here to promote your well-being. And I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send another one who's going to do the same thing. He's going to help promote your well-being. Who is it? Verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Oh, there it is again. Now we got people who believe right there, and the Holy Spirit is in them. So the Son is in the Father, and the Father is in the Son, and the Holy Spirit is in us. Wait a minute. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Wait Now we got... Jesus in us too. Jesus is in us too. So inside of us, there is somebody. 
God's inside of us. You say, how did that happen? I don't know, but that's, I know that's how God operates, see? Because the Father was inside of the Son. And he says, the Son's inside the Father. I'm going to send you the Spirit. He's going to go inside you. And by the way, I'll be there too. See, so people think today, well, uh, it's the Holy Spirit living in me. It's more than that, my friends. Don't ever just stop there. It's more than that. Jesus is inside of us, living in us. So, how's that working out for you? Best thing that ever happened. All right, verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you see me, because I live, you shall live also. They're going to, I'm going to disappear, and the world will think, well, he's gone. But you'll know better because he's inside of you. Right? So how can God get inside of me? Verse 20. At that day you shall know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. There we go. Everybody's in everybody. God is in us completely. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he does that loveth me, he that loveth me, love of my Father, I will love him, will manifest myself unto him. So there he is. Uh, us in him, him in us. And he comes in and takes residence. And what does he bring? Let's look at verse uh, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Holy Spirit has a special task. It's to help your brain. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to come and help you think? And there's, there's one thing I want to do, he says, I want to tell you, make sure you know, remind you, and really the work of the Spirit is to remind us, all right? He's reminding us about Jesus. He reminds us. All about Jesus. The more you know about Jesus, and the more you become aware of Jesus and who he is, that's the Spirit helping you to get there. You become aware of him. You begin to know things about him. You're learning from your Bible. You say, well, I learned from the Bible. Well, you I know a lot of people read the Bible and it goes, bing, don't go in. Right? The Spirit is what gets it in, though we understand it. He's in there reminding us and teaching us. He's there to teach us. Now, how's it go? 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What a wonderful thing to say. He says, I'm going to give you my peace. He didn't say you're going to have peace with God. We know that that comes through the cross. We have peace with God. So I'm going to give you the kind of peace that I got. I'm going to give you my peace. 
that piece is what stood up in front of Caiaphas and said, I'm going to sit on the right hand of power. Caiaphas. <laughs> that piece is what stood there and when they accused him and punched him, he just stood there. He didn't answer. He went to Pilate and Pilate is amazed. He says, they accused you of hundreds of crimes and you never said one word. Talk, talk. Perfect peace. Perfect peace. He's got perfect peace. And he said, that's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a peace all right, that people won't even be able to understand. Not like the world gives. The world says, well, let's have world peace. What's that? I'll take Jesus' peace any day. That's what's good. You can have that. Don't let your heart be troubled. And he says, don't be afraid. You get Jesus' peace, you're just not afraid. You are not afraid of anything. You can do whatever comes. I'm not afraid. All right. So, verse 28. You have heard now how I said unto you, I go away, come again unto you. If you love me, you'd rejoice. As I said, I go to my Father, for my Father is greater than I. Now I've told you before it come to pass, and when it come to pass, you might believe. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go. I want you to be at peace when I go. Knowing what? That someday we'll be forever together in heaven. Knowing that I'm inside of you. You think I left for good. I didn't. I came back, and now with your heart, not with your eyes, you're going to learn to see me. And that's what they had to learn to do. And it was hard for them, but they began to learn how to do it. And uh, when, uh, after the resurrection, <coughs> Jesus comes walking along the shore and they have been fishing all night. And he hollers out, you got any food? And they, no, didn't recognize him. No, throw your net on the other side. All right. Throw the net on the other side, and they get a huge load of fish. And as they're pulling it up, suddenly John says, it's Jesus. How do he know? Not with his eyes, with his heart. He, he begins to understand that you can recognize Jesus when he's working in your life. And doing things in your life. And he says, well, I pulled on that net. And it had to be. That's Jesus up there. And it was. And he recognized him inside, not with his eyes. And that happens after the resurrection. They're walking down the road to Emmaus. And it says, he held their eyes, or that is, he allowed himself to be unrecognized. Now, I've told you, he's done that lots of times. Over and over, he walked out through hostile crowds, just walked right through and disappeared because they didn't recognize him. He could do that. And he's walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he's telling them all about 
how things work and the way God planned it. And then he goes to dinner with them and he blesses the bread and all of a sudden, <gasps> he disappears. <laughs> Pretty exciting too, wow. He disappears and they said, didn't our hearts burn inside of us when he was telling us all those things on the road? They were understanding who he was with their heart, not with their eyes. That's where you and I need to get to be. We understand Jesus with our heart and not with our eyes. And so our hearts are what is going to lead us and help us. And so we have the concept that uh, we need to get used to somebody living inside of us. I remember the first time I took this seriously and I began to think about it. I said, he's right in there. He's right in there. I'm going to act today like he's right with me all day. Man, it about drove me crazy. I went to Burger King and I'm thinking, he's right here. Everywhere I go, he's with me. That's what he wants. There are people, I honestly believe, who have asked Jesus into their heart, and he's gone in, and they haven't said a word to him since. They've left him there, ignored him there all this time. Now, he's probably still there. How would you like to be invited to somebody's house and nobody ever spoke to you at all? Well. My mother taught me that was bad manners. Right? There's a presence that you can feel it. And he will make himself uh, he will make you aware that he's there. All of a sudden. And I think that's how he tends to do it. He speaks to us all of a sudden. When I preparing a sermon. Of course, I do it all the time. It's always running through my head. I drive to work. I'm going through a sermon. I go home, read this book. Anything in there might work. I don't know. I drive to work and run it through my head and run it through my head and run it through my head various times. I used to drive a forklift a lot during the day. Yeah, I did a lot of sermonizing on a forklift. Because any dummy can drive a forklift. But it's good to use your head for better purpose. When I drive to work, I'm preparing a sermon. Preparing a sermon. Saturday night, sometime after midnight, I'll sit down with my notebook. I'm going to write out all the things I've thought through the week and get it down in order. And so i uh, begin to write out. And sometimes all of a sudden... Something just goes, there he is. He just came. I want you to get this one, Eric. So, you got it? Yeah, I got it. Just like Sunday we were talking about uh, Jesus being a high priest and taking over where Caiaphas failed. And... Man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. And your tears are coming down your eyes. And you're thinking, oh, thanks for coming tonight. Until 
that time where I study and sit down with a notebook and study, that's what I really want the most. I want him to come and speak to me, tell me what he wants me to say. And you're working, you got to work at it. So what he said, here's my commandments. You do my work and I'll help you. But he comes and makes his presence very aware. So uh, talk to him. You got to talk to him. And sometimes you got to worship him. Because he's God. You know, sometimes you got to worship. Sometimes I turn on the music loud. <laughs> I don't like soft music. I want stuff that reaches inside you and yanks your guts out. That's what I like. I turn it on loud and I listen and it just fills me up and God comes. Or sometimes there's a time to learn. You open that Bible and you say, God, I don't know what this means, but I want you to show me. And he will. And sometimes there's a time where you express God, how you feel. We get a big laugh out of it, him and I, sometimes. Say, Look what I did. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Look what I did. We get a laugh because God's fun to be with. They love being with Jesus. And he said, they are going to leave. They said, Oh, you can't leave us. I'm not leaving. I'm going to disappear from your eyes, but I'm coming to you. And I'll be in your heart talking and speaking to you. And so I hope you talk to him a lot. I hope you talk to him whenever you wake up. I always talk to him. Talk to him all the time. Talk to him. Talk things over with him. Ask him for answers. Ask him for help. He's there. He's right there. He said, I promise to be there. So he's inside of us. He's in there. Pay attention. Be a good host. Entertain him. Do what he wants you to do. And so the promise, what he said, I will not leave you comfortless. It actually said, I won't leave you an orphan, is what the actual wording was. I won't leave you orphans, he said, with nobody. Never leave you an orphan. You're not an orphan when you got God in your heart. He's always there. So uh, there's so many wonderful songs about it. Uh, take time to be holy. Uh, spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him you will be. And friends in your conduct, his likeness will see. So... He sure gave them something to change their mind and get them out of the dumps, didn't he? Wow, I guess so. That was quite a conversation at the Lord's table. Got to stop. I'm out of time. We'll go on some more next week. Thank you.